0: A lady was dying in a retirement village. Her pastor came to visit, and uh, she said to him, out of the anguish of her heart, How can I be saved? And he gave her a list of things that she ought to do and a list of things that she shouldn't do. Today, we're going to send a message to that person who is still alive but for whom death is coming how can a person be ready to die and so the topic today is about god's amazing abounding grace firstly today it is my privilege to introduce a beautiful couple we're glad that daniel and heather are here today they're both going to sing but they're going to sing one after another so would you please welcome daniel and heather but firstly, Daniel, who's going to come and sing for us. Thanks, Thank you. Good morning. Good morning.
1: Good morning. Pass me by I can see it In their eyes Empty people Filled with care Headed who knows where On they go Through private pain Living fear to fear Laughter hides their silent cries Only Jesus hears What could be too great a cost for sharing life with one who's lost? Through His love our hearts can feel all the grief they bear. Just hear the words of life, only we can share.
0: you tell an old person in a retirement village who is facing death. You're the pastor. The pastor goes along and visits the congregation and this old lady says to the pastor, Pastor, I've been a member of this church for 80 years. 80 years a member of the church. I've been struggling hard to keep the commandments of God. Um, I just don't feel as I'm ready to die. What do you tell a person who is facing death? What do you tell them when they ask the question, uh, how can I get right with God? How can I be right with God right now? I want you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Romans 5. The topic today is Abounding Grace. Abounding Grace. Or as Spurgeon called it in one of his books, Grace Abounding. Please turn with me to Romans chapter 5 and verse 20 and 21, please. The book of Romans written by the great Jewish scholar, Paul the Apostle. Romans 5 verse 20 and 21. Amazing passage. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. You know why God gave the law on Mount Sinai, don't you? The Bible says here, so that the trespass, or so the sin could increase. What does that mean? Do we understand what this means? The law was given so the trespass might increase. When the law is given... It magnifies sin. We see sin as being as bad as it really is. And so the Bible says the law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, we would expect, I would expect the Bible to say, where sin increased, the wrath of God increased all the more. Because that's how we would expect it to to be. Concerning the justice of God, that God is a just God, if sin increases, we'd expect the wrath of God to increase even more so. But that's not what Paul says. Look at it here. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. You can say amen to that. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness... To bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The King James here, I think, is superior. The King James Version says, Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And therefore, Grace is greater than any sin. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Did you know St. Augustine, the great Roman Catholic theologian, made this statement? He says, The church hath many that God hath not. What does that mean? The church hath many that God hath not, and God hath many the church hath not. You know why don't you? Because many people do not understand the doctrine of grace, at least in the church. And so there are many in the church who don't belong to God, And there are many outside the church who do belong to God. Think about it. Would you think about it? The church hath many that God hath not. And God hath many the church hath not. It's all got to do with grace. Now listen carefully. The gospel of God's abounding grace is supernaturally revealed. And unless a divine miracle happens in your life, you can be the most pious of Christians, or at least the most pious of church members, but you will be lost. Because the gospel of grace is supernaturally revealed. I want you to come over here to a text in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 11 and 12. Dear hearts and gentle people, Galatians chapter 1 and verse 11 and 12. Galatians 1, 11 and 12. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. I know this is true. Look at me. Why is it that there are people who come to church and this church year after year? I've known people to come to this church for 22 years. Because this church has been preaching the gospel of God's grace now in California for 22 years. And I know people who've come to the church for 22 years and have no understanding of the gospel of grace. Why is this so? Because it is supernaturally revealed. Jesus said, many are called and only few are chosen. Uh, Let me give you some illustrations. Last Sabbath in our church when we had the big 50 celebration, we had with us Dr. and Mrs. Owens from Texas. Wonderful friends of mine for many, many years. In the Fort Worth church, when I was the pastor there, I put on a series of meetings on the Book of Romans. Tyndale, the British reformer, called the Book of Romans, good, glad, and merry tidings that makes a man's heart to sing for joy and his feet to dance. So Russell reminded me when he came to the church a week ago. He told me, as a seventh-day Adventist believer for all of his life, he sat there in the Fort Worth Church, and when we preached from the book of Romans, about God's abounding grace, he said, for the first time in his life, it dawned upon him. He said, previously, I had no idea of the doctrine of grace or the truth of salvation. And he had been an Adventist Christian in good and regular standing for so many years. A person who had a similar experience in this church is one of our elders today, a dear friend of mine, Ron Barkley, and Ron's going to come, and I'm going to ask him to tell you how the gospel of God's grace was supernaturally revealed to him. Tell me, Ron. Well, Pastor Carter, I've been a
2: member of this church now for about 19 years. I was Mm -hmm. born into an Adventist family. But when I came to this church, I had quite a bit of baggage. My understanding of the gospel at that time was that For me to be saved, I had to be living an absolutely sinless life, either before Mm -hmm. I died or Christ returned. Mm -hmm. With that, I had the understanding that a man will be judged according to uh, the light that he has been given.
0: And his success in keeping the commandments.
2: Well, I find in these two areas a great contradiction that was troubling me for years. Um, When I came into this church, my life was turned upside down. I found that my theology was not according to Scripture.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I learned that we're saved by God's grace through the, for, by my faith in the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, on mm-hmm. Calvary. Mm-hmm. The book of John is remarkable. Uh, Jesus told Nicodemus that one must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. But he didn't stop there. In 1 John 1, 9, he tells us how to do that. If we confess our sins... God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He tells us in John 3.16, probably one of the best-known verses in Scripture, that God so loved this world, the whole world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Mm. These three simple verses dispelled my belief. Mm. When I came to your church, Pastor Carter, I knew a lot about Jesus, But I didn't know Jesus. Now I know him as my creator, Mm -hmm. my savior, Mm -hmm. and my very best
0: friend. Mm -hmm. God bless you, Ron. Thank you. That warms our hearts. (laughs) Mm. Last Sabbath in church, Susan P. Rhino, who's worked for the ministry for quite a few years now, told how she came to the Shrine Auditorium. And as the word was being preached, it was like a revelation from heaven. And she felt that her heart would burst when an appeal was made to come to Christ. I want to ask you, have you had that experience? So many people, my friend, in our denomination are trusting in their own righteousness and thinking they can be saved because they're members of the church. Last Sabbath, we had Dr. Julia Ukina from Russia. She came to the meetings as an atheist, an unbeliever, a Russian intellectual. She came simply to hear English being spoken because she was a doctor of linguistics from uh, St. Petersburg University. But she said as she became exposed to the word of God, it was as though heaven was opened and she saw herself as a sinner and she saw Christ as her savior. If you haven't had that experience, my friend, I look you in the eye. You may be too religious. You may know all about religion, but you may not know Christ and the gospel. Think of Paul on the road to Damascus. He saw Christ. He had a revelation. Every person must have that experience. When I was a boy at Avondale College, 17 years of age, sitting in the Avondale Chapel, that old chapel, on the campus of Avondale College in Australia, I heard a preacher preach on God's abounding grace. And even though I'd been brought up in a strict Seventh day, Adventist home, and the law had been drummed into me from daylight to dark. I had no knowledge of the gospel of God. I discovered the gospel of God at Avondale College through a revelation from God. John Wesley was an Anglican preacher. He came to America to convert the Americans, but he cried out, I've come to convert the Americans who is going to convert me. You know the story when he went back to London. He went to a, a little chapel and he heard a layman read the preface to the book of Romans the, by Martin Luther. And John Wesley, for the first time in his life, had a supernatural revelation. You say, I, I don't, don't know what you're talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's because you don't know the gospel. And John Wesley got up in the meeting and he said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. Now, when a person has this experience, he passes from death unto life. Over there in Russia, there was a persecuting Orthodox priest who came to our meetings and tried to break up the meetings. This is an amazing story. He would uh, have a gang outside the meetings trying to stop people coming into the, the great auditorium in Novgorod. He was a persecuting priest. But somehow, he started to hear the word of God. And even though he was a priest, he knew nothing about Christ or salvation. He knew a lot about icons. But he said God gave him a supernatural revelation. He saw himself as a great sinner, and he came to Christ, and he was baptized. So we're talking today about a supernatural revelation from God. I want you to come to Galatians 2. I ask you, have you had this supernatural experience? I want to say to the people who are watching this telecast in Australia, across America, have you had a supernatural revelation from God? Because you've got to get it. And if you haven't had it, my friend, it's because you haven't found salvation. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. Galatians 2. Paul says, I do not set aside... The grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Paul says, if a person can be saved by keeping the commandments of God, then Christ died for nothing. I want you to know this. We can never be saved by our good works. The King James Version says concerning this text, It's a great translation. I do not frustrate the grace of God. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If you and I can be saved by our own righteousness, even with the help of God... Then Christ died in vain. Now I ask the question, are some of us frustrating the grace of God? Are you frustrating the grace of God? I ask you, by our hard hearts, by our rebellious spirits, by our legalistic, self-righteous attitude, like the man in the Bible who said, I thank God I'm not like other people. You see, he didn't need the blood of Jesus. or so he thought. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. His death doesn't count. And so I think of this old lady in the retirement village and she says to the pastor... With tears in her voice, this old Christian, this, this old Christian who's been in our church for 80 years, and she says, I'm not ready to die. And she says, how can I be saved? You know, the hymn says, shadows are falling, death's night is coming. She asked the pastor, how can I be saved? How can I be right with God? And the pastor said to her, you must do works of righteousness, I'm telling you, he said to her. You must support the church program. What say if she dies before she gets through it? You must support the church program. You must do evangelism. She's got to get out and knock on doors to be saved. He said to her, you must do evangelism and you must obey all of God's commandments and then you'll have the assurance of salvation. I'm preaching this service particularly for that lady and we're going to send you a DVD of this sermon. So we're going to do this DVD as quick as we can. Now that pastor, I tell you, my friend, was frustrating the grace of God. And he was casting her soul into the black pit of despair. Now I have a message for that elderly soul whose life is slipping away. Where sin did abound, uh, grace did much more abound. And you and I are saved by the grace of God and by the grace of God alone. Let me come over here and let me put it up here on the blackboard if I may. Because the Bible makes it so, so plain. The Bible says, we are saved by grace. And the Bible says, not only grace, but it says, by grace alone. You remember how I've tried to teach you the great battle cry of the Protestant Reformation? You, you need to. Remember that? Sola Christus, only Christ. Only Christ. People say, well, I'm trusting in the church. My friend, that's a vain hope. The church needs salvation. So, how can the church save if the church needs to be saved? So, Sola Christus, only Christ. Sola Scriptura. When you come into this church, my friend, you're going to hear a sermon out of the Bible. Not a bunch of philosophy or psychology. The Bible tells me, sola Christus, sola scriptura. And then we believe, as the great Protestant reformers taught, sola gratia, only grace. And sola Fide, only faith. This is grace abounding. Would you come over here to Ephesians chapter 2, and verses 3 and onwards, Ephesians 2. In the Bible, Ephesians 2, verse 3 and onwards. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Listen to me. Let this saying sink down into the molecules of your mind. Without Christ, we are objects of wrath. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are all sinners standing under the judgments of God. And that is why we need Christ in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, I say today, let it be proclaimed from every pulpit. Let it be heard in every home where Christ is honored. Let mothers teach their daughters. Let fathers teach their sons. Let the word go out. We are saved by God's abounding grace. Remember this. I'm saying this to all of my friends around the world. You've got to get this into your minds today if you would be saved. Listen carefully. Not by works of righteousness that we have done. Because all our works, the Bible says, are filthy rags. Not by our good deeds. Not by doing evangelism, although it is commanded. Not by obedience to the law of God, although it is commanded. Not by our success in living a holy life, although it is commanded. We are saved by grace alone. And the Bible says... Through faith alone. This is the teaching of the Bible. I'm going to tell you a story. This is not a trick story. If you understand the gospel, it'll be plain in your mind. There was a famous, great preacher. Years and years ago, when I was in Australia, somebody gave me a bunch of his books and said, Sell this book at the mission, at the campaign, because then people will understand how to be saved. It was called Salvation by Grace. So I thought, well, I'm going to read it. It sounds pretty good. And here's the story. It's preached by the great preacher. who shall remain anonymous. He said there was a young couple fell in love. Got married. And the father of the bride came to the young man and said, I want to do something special for you both because I love you. He said, I'm going to supply you with all, he said to the young man, I'm going to supply you with everything to build a mansion. And I'm going to give you the blueprints. And I want you to be diligent. And I want you to build the most beautiful home that has ever been built. And after you built it, I'm going to come and inspect it. What does that sound like to you? <laughs> I'm going to come and inspect it. That's the judgment. And he said, if the house is up to standard, I'm going to give it to you by grace. Grace is sometimes misunderstood. And so the young guy started to work and he worked on this house for months and for more than a year and when it was finished the father-in-law came along for the inspection. But oh my, in those days they used to have stables out the back of the house Well, he had the stables where the kitchen should have been. Mm-hmm. And he had the kitchen in the bathroom. or oh, bathrooms. It was a disaster. And the loving, gracious father said to him, why didn't you follow the blueprint? Well, he said, I thought I could do it better myself. What does that sound like? Mm Mm-hmm. That sounds like us. Sometimes we're awfully dumb. We have the word of God, and what do we say? I can do it better myself, and we make a mess of it. We put the stables in the kitchen. Well, the father said, and now you've got to listen carefully. He said, you know, you've made a mess of it. But I believe in grace. I'm going to come and work with you. And we're going to build this house together. We're going to follow the blueprint, you and I. So he said, here, we've got the blueprint. And we're going to work together side by side. And he said, we are going, I'm going to guarantee that as you build, it's going to be perfect. Absolutely perfect without a blemish. He said, I guarantee the house will pass the inspection. How does that sound to you? And so the preacher said, we've all made a mess of things and we all need the grace of God. Can you say amen? amen? We've all made a mess of things and we need the grace of God. But I want to tell you something. I need somebody more than a master builder to help me to build a perfect house. I need a savior. But that's not what the preacher said. He said, we've all made a mess of things, but if you come to God, God will so come and work with you that you will be able to give to God in the judgment a perfect and a sinless life. Well, Bob, it's not the truth. That's a damnable heresy. I am not saved Because I can come to God in the judgment and say, hey, look me over. I've got here a perfect life. Look what I've done, God. You've helped me. And that's why there are so many people today who are toiling and working, trying to build a perfect sinless life so they can get through the judgment. That is not my friend uh, by grace alone. That is grace and works. Have I confused you? Not if you understand the gospel. Some of you are confused. Maybe you haven't had the revelation I've been talking about. I don't need. I don't need to come into the judgment and say, God, we've done it. I need a savior who comes and says, you messed up, but my life is going to take the place of your life. I wouldn't want to go to that poor lady dying in that retirement village many miles away and say to her, well, you better start to work now. And here is the blueprint. And God's going to help you with the blueprint. And before you die, you're going to be perfect and sinless. And that's how you're going to get through. The Bible tells me that I'm saved by grace alone, not by grace plus my works. I want you to understand this because it's important. The true gospel says, here is a gift for you, a perfect life credited to your account. Now there are two great doctrines that many people mess up on. One is justification and one is sanctification. These great doctrines are distinct, but they're not separate. Let me put it up here on the blackboard. This is a little bit of theology, but you need to understand it. The first great word is justification. Justification doesn't make me righteous. Justification declares that I'm righteous because God says so. Because of Calvary. The first is justification and the second word is sanctification sanctification my friend is a making of the life righteous and God doesn't justify any person that he cannot sanctify and if you want to know if you're saved or not you need to ask yourself the question am I being sanctified by the spirit of God But the Bible teaches, I want you to know this, it is by grace alone. Let's talk about the grace that saves. Firstly, it is the grace of God's goodness. What is God like? I've been to India on a number of occasions. I've seen the gods of the Hindus, bloodthirsty, grotesque. What is God like? God is rich in mercy. He's not angry. He's a loving God. Let me tell my American friend something. You know what shocked me most when I came to America? (laughs) And none of you folks are like this. What shocked me were all the lawsuits among Christians. I couldn't understand it. We've been wanting to let one of our church members use a part of this church during the week. We've been told by attorneys, better not do it. Why? Even though the people who come, the mothers of the children, will promise not to sue you, the attorney said, They will. They'll sue you? Yeah. For what? Any reason. You cannot be a Christian saved by grace and have an attitude whereby you want to sue people. I was shocked. We got more attorneys in this country than I think in the rest of the world, put together. And we have these lawsuits because people don't understand grace. They're greedy, but not gracious. What is God's grace like? Rich in mercy. Grace sent the Savior. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. Thank God that God is not like us, my friends. Galatians chapter 4. I hear of a dear friend of mine He's being sued, and he's being sued because people say, hey, we're going to get his money, and they don't have reason for it. The spirit of greed, it is an abomination in America. It's a cancer growing in the heart of America. Galatians 4, verse 4, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, Born under law, that little baby in the manger in Bethlehem was the embodiment of grace. Grace is for sinners. Come over here to Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. If you're not a sinner, you don't need grace. Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus said, yes, I do. Grace is for sinners. If a person comes to this church and if he feels he's not worthy, that's good because he's not. None of us are. The church is not made for righteous people. It is made for sinners. When you read the Old Testament, we read there about a man by the name of Ahab. The Bible says that Ahab was the most wicked man in the Bible. The husband of Jezebel, a bad man. God showed him grace. That's amazing. So nobody is too bad for the grace of God, even a bunch of attorneys who are suing you. God can even save those sort of people if they come to God. But they've got to feel themselves as sinners. Grace paid for my sins on the cross. Would you come over here to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. Galatians, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Um, That is why Alan White, a famous Adventist Christian, made the remarkable statement that hanging on the cross was the gospel. I am not saved. Try to get this saying into your minds. I am not saved by my attainment. I am saved by his atonement. So we're talking here about something supernatural, something absolutely amazing. I can be a minister in the church. I can be a doctor of ministry and not understand the gospel. I guess it is true to say that in the history of the church, there have been many, many, many priests and ministers who never understood the gospel. But the gospel is is shown in the death of Christ on the cross. Grace declares the poor, trembling, repentant sinner righteous. I want this DVD to go to that lady who is facing death and wonders how she can be saved. Listen to this. Don't let anybody rob you of this. The moment you come to Christ... The very moment, the moment you come to Christ and truly believe in Christ, you are declared righteous. If you die, you will be in the kingdom of God, not because you've been in the church for 80 years, but because Christ died for you. And the good news is that grace covers me all the way home. This is a new revelation for many people. The great hymn written by the great Englishman, "'Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home." Now listen to this statement from Alan White, who understood the gospel. The religious services, the prayers, the praise, the penitent confession of sin, Ascend from the true believers as incense to the heavenly sanctuary. But passing through the corrupt channels of humanity, they are so defiled that unless purified by blood, they can never be of value with God. Even our prayers are defiled, she says. They ascend not in spotless purity and unless the intercessor who is at God's right hand presents and purifies all by his righteousness it is not acceptable to God said Alan White. That's in select- First Selected Messages page 344. She says all of our prayers all of our penitent confession of sins When we get down on our knees and we say, God, I confess my sins. I believe in Christ. She says, it is all so polluted. My prayers are polluted. You say, my prayers are not polluted. Yes, they are completely polluted. Our prayers are polluted. Our Sabbath keeping is polluted. Our tithe paying is polluted. Our good works are so polluted that unless Christ covers our prayers and our confession of sin with his own blood and his own righteousness, God cannot accept us. So how could we ever be saved except by grace? Look at this umbrella. Some people say, well, we start with grace. We start with justification and then we move on to the sanctification. And once I am justified, that's a thing in the past. But now it is sanctification and God starts me off with justification. But now I've got to build a house, you see. How many Adventists have told me that? Of course they have. Thousands? Yeah, heaps of them. You know what justification is like? You know what the grace of God is like? It's like an umbrella. It keeps the rain, the thunder, keeps everything off me. I am covered by the blood of Christ from beginning to end and I need not fear the judgment or the wrath of God if I am covered by the grace of God. Hallelujah. Now, as a lady said to me after church last Sabbath, she said, I, I'm confused on this because I, I believed that I, I've got to, I start here. But she said, I haven't attained. I said, of course you haven't. Jesus did it for you. You see? Now, let me tell you something so you'll never forget this. Would you like to know... <laughs> Would you like to know why so many who profess to be Christians seem to lack the grace of God in their lives? Why is it that so many of us, we are sinners, why is it that so many of us are inconsistent, lazy in our spiritual works? We go to church when It suits us and we stay home when it suits us. We pay our tithes when it is convenient. Would you like to know why? It is because I'm afraid justification is lacking. There is no sanctification without justification and it is going to Christ as a sinner and having this supernatural revelation that changes the life. You see? So that's why I say we need a supernatural experience. There's a beautiful poem. I'm going to read it to you, or hymn. Dear Lord, take up our tangled strands, where we have wrought in vain, that by the skill of thy dear hand some beauty may remain. Touch thou the sad discordant keys of every troubled breast, and change to peaceful harmonies the sighings of unrest. Where broken vows and fragments lie the toil of wasted years, do thou make whole again we cry and give a song for tears. Take all the failures, each mistake of our poor human ways. Then, Savior, for thine own dear sake, make them show forth thy praise. Transformed by grace divine, the glory shall be thine. To thy most holy will, O Lord, we now our all resign. You know the story of how Moses... And those rebellious, complaining people came to a pool of water. They were thirsty. And when they drank of the water, they said, it is bitter. They called it Marah. And from Mara we get the name Mary. Did you know that? Mary comes from the Hebrew word bitter. And Moses said, God said to Moses, Go get a, a tree and throw it into the bitter water. And uh, Moses took the branch and he threw it into Mara and it became sweet. You know what the tree represents? The cross. The grace of God takes bitterness. And makes it sweet. The grace takes bitter people and makes them sweet. If you meet people in the church who are bitter, if they are maras, they need the cross of Christ. You know the story. I've told it, I think years ago, of the man in Northern Ireland caught between the, the war between the Protestants and the Catholics the IRA, the Irish Republican Army, which was run by the Catholics, and then the Protestants had their own army. And there was this man who had lost his wife, but he had a beautiful daughter, whom he loved with all his heart. And the IRA killed, uh, let off a bomb, And he was there and he held his girl in his arms as her life left her body. He said, hold on, help will come. But he held his daughter as she died. Have you ever had an experience like that? That was Mara. After she was buried... The Protestants wanted to go out and kill the IRA. They'd killed so many, they were fighting each other for the love of God, fighting over religion. No grace, no gospel, just religion. He asked for a meeting of the leaders of the IRA, the Irish Republican Army. After some time, they granted him his request. With great security, they met him. He said, I haven't come to seek revenge. There's been too much killing. He said, I've come to tell you one thing. I forgive you. He said, nobody can give me back my daughter. He said, I've come with a message. I forgive you as a Christian. It's grace. Isn't it sad that so many Christians are at the forefront of wanting wars? Hey, let's bomb them. What about the children? Oh, let's get rid of them. You know what their problem is? No grace. No gospel. Religion, religion, religion. But religion has never saved a single soul. There's too much religion in the world, but not enough grace. There was a big convention, and they were discussing the question, what makes Christianity different? There were different answers. Then C.S. Lewis came into the room, and they said, what makes Christianity different? Oh, he said, that's easy. Grace. Grace. That's why it's different from Hinduism, the Muslim religion and every other religion. Judaism, it's grace. So back to the lady in the retirement home. My message to you is this, God loves you. You're not going to be saved because of your success in good works. You are saved by works but by his works. Therefore, trust in the Saviour. Commit yourself to the grace of God and you will not perish. You will be saved. One of my dear friends before his death was Pastor George Vanderman, the speaker of It Is Written, a real man of God. And he had this saying. (laughs) I admired him so much he said when I look at myself I can't see how I could ever be saved and you better think that way too when I look at myself I can't see how I could ever be saved but when I look at Christ I can't see how I could ever be lost so remember where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Amen.
1: The sparrow, and I know he watches me.